Well, I, I do not paint the lily in telling you that um, uh, we're very tickled. Beginning next Sunday, uh, both uh, Tom and Dick, the Smothers Brothers, are going to be on from 9 to 10 on CBS. And uh, it's nice to have such nice folks in front of us. And uh, we're planning on having a... Uh, we've had... We've been... We were on one other time. <laughs> and we're trying to move rapidly along and keep, keep moving so that when questions like, do you have a continuing series, we can always say, well, sometimes... <laughs> on January 29th, 1967, Tom and Dick's mothers appeared on the quiz show, What's My Line?, to promote their new variety show, which would premiere on the same network, CBS, the following week. The brothers wore nondescript suits and ties. Dick had on a pair of horn-rimmed glasses. They bantered with panelists Dina Merrill and Steve Allen and host John Daly. The following Sunday, February 5th, the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour made its debut against the one show CBS could never seem to beat in the ratings. Throughout the 1960s, CBS unsuccessfully launched show after show against the Cartwright family of Bonanza. You can learn more about that in our podcast about the variety show Skirmishes of 1963. The Smothers Brothers were the first to break through and give Bonanza a run for its money. But one of the reasons the show was so popular was also one of the reasons it was canceled after just two years on the air. Tom and Dick Smothers insisted that the show contained satire and political humor that was a reflection of the world outside the studio during the tumultuous years of 1967, 68, and 69. When CBS executives pulled the plug on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, they did so out of fear. Fear that advertisers, the federal government, and maybe even the President of the United States would penalize CBS for the anti-war satire that viewers loved. I'm starting to think that maybe we should do a potluck thing. Potluck, potluck. The potluck is going really great. A potluck. Seriously. Seriously. This is the Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck. Welcome to the Potluck. I'm David Inman. Tom and Dick's mothers grew up in California, raised by their widowed mother. Their father, also named Tom, died during World War II while being transferred from one Japanese prison camp to another. After playing in a folk group, the brothers made their debut as a team in 1959 and their TV debut on Jack Parr's Tonight Show in 1961. Folk music was at the height of its popularity at this time, performed by musicians like Peter, Paul, and Mary and the Kingston Trio. The songs and the performers were typically very earnest and sincere. The Smothers Brothers played off that tradition, but added something unique to the mix, comedy. Here they are on The Steve Allen Show in 1961. 
Across America, ever so slowly, in the industrial America, the railroads first started in America with the men working, inching and toiling, and working across the vast America from the mountains <laughs> to the valleys, to the orchards, to the ocean, white with snow. <laughs> God bless America. <laughs> And the hardy Chinese men were on the east, on the west coast. Of the hardy Chinese men were pounding steel, whop into the ground from the west coast heading east. And on the east coast were the hardy Irish from pounding steel in the ground heading from the east coast heading west. And they met in the middle in a dramatic and emotional thing. And met in the middle and made the first continental <laughs> railway from the east coast to the west coast. Whop right with a golden spike right in the ground. It was on Christmas Day. And they had a big feast for all the Chinese men and the Irish men. And their feast was that they ate it. They all sat down and they ate together in a, in a, a mixed group like that. <laughs> <laughs> And their, their Christmas dinner was hot cakes boiled in cabbage juice. <laughs> Pancakes boiled in cabbage juice. It's not so popular now. Tom Smothers, who played guitar, was the funny one in the group. And Dick, who played upright bass, was the straight man. The team even had a catchphrase. My mom liked my brother best, and she never liked me. Right, mom gave it, my... This is not true. Mom yes. gave you... Mom liked you best! No, she, all right. Mom... All right, just be quiet one minute. Mom liked you best! You lower your voice. Mom liked you best. The brothers made the rounds of TV variety shows during the early 1960s, and then in 1965 they were approached about a weekly TV series. They'd already recorded several successful albums, but a series seemed like a natural match with their unique comic and musical abilities. The only problem was the show that resulted had very little music and not much comedy. The Smothers Brothers show premiered on CBS in the fall of 1965, and the only singing came in the opening theme, which in the great tradition of 1960s sitcoms, tells you all you need to know about the show. Tonight you'll meet two brothers who just happen to be us. Though Tom is slightly different, a problem we will now discuss. My brother Tom was lost at sea without his water wings. And now he is an angel and he tries to do amazing things. That's right, brother Dick, it's no trick if you see. Lots of different faces that look a lot like me. <laughs> An angel on a visit to his brother here below Can cause a lot of trouble, there's merry 
miracles of star, but they always come apart on the Smothers Brothers Show. There's miracles of star, but they always come apart on the Smothers Brothers Show. So in case you missed anything, Tom Smothers was lost at sea and returns as an angel to help his brother Dick out of scrapes. It was an ill-fated project in a number of ways. It was the last CBS sitcom filmed in black and white because the network was transitioning to color, and the show used canned laughter instead of a live audience. It was also structured so that Tom Smothers got most of the lines, and the problem with that was that he had dyslexia, so it was a real ordeal for him to constantly have to comprehend written dialogue and then memorize it. The Smothers Brothers show was placed in a Friday night time slot right after Gomer Pyle USMC, which would end the season as the nation's number two show. But the Smothers Brothers show held on to little of that audience. The failure of the show affected Tommy Smothers especially deeply. He swore he'd never do another series without having creative control. And the brothers vowed that the next TV project they did do would show them off to their best advantage as an act with comedy, music, the essential brother-to-brother dynamic, and real laughter from a studio audience. Around this same time, Hollywood super agent Abe Lassvogel paid a visit to the head of CBS, William S. Paley. Lassvogel handed a Paley a list of the performers who were hosting variety shows on CBS at the time. Jackie Gleason, Ed Sullivan, Red Skelton, Danny Kaye. None of them were under 50. You need someone young, someone new, Lass Vogel told Paley. And it just so happened he had the guys, his clients, the Smothers Brothers. Paley agreed. So the brothers began accumulating their creative team. They had appeared on a Jack Benny special and liked the material, so they hired two of Benny's writers. On another show, they worked with the director they liked, so they hired him. Danny Kay was wrapping up his variety show after four seasons, so the brothers were given his office at CBS Television City. Tom Smothers really wanted to hire Mason Williams, a writer and musician who'd known the brothers almost since they began their act. He'd accompanied the brothers on stage and had written songs for them, but Mason Williams was booked on The Roger Miller Show on NBC. Then, fortunately for the brothers at least. The Roger Miller show was canceled and Williams was free to join the Smothers Brothers. Intentionally or not, the six writers on the staff each represented a certain era of comedy. Benny's writers were old school. Another two writers, Mike Marmer and Stan Burns, had written hipper humor for Steve Allen and Ernie Kovacs. Then there were the young people with a very contemporary outlook. Mason Williams and Alan Bly. The result was a kind of comic stew that celebrated certain show business traditions while also poking gentle fun at them. As critic David Biancooli later pointed out, that was exactly the same way the Smothers approached folk music. The first episode appeared on Sunday, February 5th, 1967. Ed Sullivan's show was the lead in and from New York he kicked off the Smothers Brothers show by introducing them. The opening guests were Jim Neighbors, star of Gomer Pyle USMC, and sex pot actress Jill St. John. 
Everyone was pleased with the first show, and the guest stars for the second show were to be Eddie Albert and Ava Gabor, who played a married couple on the CBS sitcom Green Acres. Albert did a solo number on the show, but Gabor rejected a sketch where she would play Marie Antoinette to Tommy Smothers' Robespierre. She insisted instead that it be replaced by a sketch lifted from a Green Acres script. But something else happened on that episode that was much more important and indicated the growing popularity of the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. The other guest on that show was a musical group that Tommy Smothers had insisted on booking. Hi there. That's the sound of the day, and it belongs to one of the most fast-moving groups in the country, the Turtles. And hold you tight, so happy together. If I should call you up, invest a dime. Say you belong to me and lose my mind. Imagine how the world could be so very fine, so happy together. Before the show aired, Happy Together had been on Billboard magazine's Top 100, but at least partly because of its performance on the show, the song hit number one. The second episode of the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour accomplished something else very significant. It actually beat Bonanza in the ratings. And the third episode promised just as much topical and satirical content. One of the guests was Betty Davis who played Marie Antoinette in the sketch that Ava Gabor had declined the week before. Tis a pity before the sun sets you shall be taken in my private carriage through the countryside and driven to my summer palace where you shall be thrown into a dungeon till your flesh rots. How does that sound to you? Well, up to the dungeon part, not so bad. <laughs> By the show's ninth episode, CBS had decided to renew the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour for a second season. The guest on that episode was writer, director, and comic Elaine May. Elaine May had partnered with Mike Nichols to form a groundbreaking comedy team in the 1950s, and for this episode she wrote a sketch where she and Tom Smothered played film censors who get a little bit too wrapped up in their work. Changes were ordered by CBS and refused by the brothers. The matter was escalated to CBS Brass, and as a result, the 11-minute sketch was ordered removed from the show, totally. The following Sunday, it reappeared, but not on TV. The sketch was printed in full in the New York Times, along with a quote from Tom Smothers about CBS infringing on the brothers' creative rights. The Smothers brothers weren't backing down, but neither was CBS. On a show that aired on Mother's Day, Tom and Dick planned to close by promoting the work of Another Mother for Peace, the activist group that created the message, War is Not Healthy for Children and Other Living Things. The closing was taped as part of the show, and CBS cut it out, citing a policy against performers taking political positions. The censors were also getting nervous about the material provided by a new addition to the cast, 
deadpan comic Pat Paulson. He was doing weekly editorials, uh, and some of them could be pretty controversial, including this one. Should the use of firearms be restricted? Once again, speaking for our program, Mr. Patrick Paulson, Vice President. Many people today are suggesting that restrictions be placed on the purchase and ownership of firearms. No one questions that these are good, solid citizens, which combines the spirits. They are grossly misguided patrols, or else it can be major for logic or communists. <laughs> but we respect them. And we will fight to the death against their right to express their opinions. define our terms. We are merely talking about simple firearms, pistols, rifles, bazookas. <laughs> so let us not depart for all spare off. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> I ask you, what is our most cherished right since pioneer days? The right for every man, woman, and child to carry a gun. <laughs> this is not a statement of creation, but has man the meanings that even a child could understand. If you're old enough to get arrested, you're old enough to carry a gun. <laughs> a gun is a necessity. Who knows if you're walking down a street, you'll spot a moose. <laughs> I feel these restrictions are plot and sporadic turn for listing. We at the Smothers Brothers program consider this personal attack on our own integrity. Personally, I myself carry a gun. Should I be restricted from carrying a gun? Do I look unstable? Let us not be led masked by those who had less met us. Let no man take away our liberties. and be counted. Let's preserve our freedom to kill. If you wish a copy of the preceding editorial, send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Editorial, Box 1763, Beverly Hills. Oh, oh, California. Oh. By this point, you would be forgiven for thinking that the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour was nothing but anti-war jokes and fights with censors. But it was much more than that. The brothers also loved introducing new talent on the show, especially musicians like Glenn Campbell, John Hartford, and Mason Williams. Hartford wrote Gentle on My Mind, and Campbell's recording of it topped the charts in 1967. Glenn Campbell especially benefited from appearing on the show, and after he hosted a summer replacement series in 1968, he was given his own variety series on CBS. Other musicians and groups also flocked to the show, from The Association to Jefferson Airplane to The Who, who memorably broke up their instruments at the end of their bit and then shot off a prop cannon overloaded with explosives. The blast was so loud that it damaged Pete Townsend's hearing and set his hair on fire. 
But there was one musician the brothers especially wanted and who hadn't appeared on TV in 17 years, Pete Seeger. The legendary folk singer and original member of the Weavers had been listed in Red Channels and blacklisted. For more on Red Channels and the damage it did, you can listen to our two-part podcast, Fade to Blacklist. Anyway, the brothers wanted Seeger on the show. CBS executives hesitated, but then a funny thing happened. President Lyndon B. Johnson called CBS head William Paley to complain about a sketch on the show. Paley asked his executives what they could do to keep the brothers happy and maybe get them to go a little easier on LBJ. And the reply came back, give him Pete Seeger. But it wasn't quite that simple. Seeger was set for the first episode of the second season, but over 30,000 letters came in protesting his appearance. The brothers didn't back down, and Seeger showed up for a rehearsal. He was going to sing a new song, one inspired by a film clip of soldiers in Vietnam fording a river in the Mekong Delta. He called it Waist Deep in the Big Muddy, but it was about a lot more than just crossing a river. It was back in 1942, I was a member of a good platoon. We were on maneuvers in Louisiana one night by the light of the moon. The captain told us to ford a river, that's how it all begun. We were knee-deep in the big muddy, the big fools had to push on. Well, the sergeant said, sir, are you sure this is the best way back to the base? Sergeant, go on, I forded this river about a mile above this place. It'll be a little soggy, but just keep slogging, we'll soon be on dry ground. We were waist deep in the big muddy, the big pool said to push on. Sergeant said, sir, with all this equipment, no man will be able to swim. Sergeant, don't be a nervous nilly, the captain said to him. All we need is a little determination, men, follow me, I'll lead on. We were neck deep in the big muddy, the big fool said to push on. All at once the moon clouded over, we heard a gurgling cry. A few seconds later, the captain's helmet was all that floated by. The sergeant said, turn around, men, I'm in charge from now on. And we just made it out of the big muddy with the captain dead and gone. We stripped and dived and found his body stuck in the old quicksand. I guess he didn't know that the water was deeper than the place he'd once before been. Another stream had joined the Big Muddy about a half mile from where he'd gone. We were lucky to escape from the Big Muddy when the Big Fool said to push on. Well, I'm not going to point any moral. I'll leave that for yourself. Maybe you're still walking, you're still talking. You'd like to keep your health. But every time I read the paper, them old feelings come on. We're waist deep in the big muddy, the big fool says to push on. Waist deep in the big muddy, the big fool says to push on. 
face deep in the big muddy, the big fool says to push on. Waist deep, neck deep, soon even a tall man will be over his head. Where waist deep in the big muddy, the big fool says to push on. CBS executives reacted as you might expect them to. Waist deep in the big muddy was cut from the show. Seeger would return to the show on February 25, 1968, and perform Waist Deep in the Big Muddy without interference. Why? Well, because Tom Smothers wouldn't let the matter drop, and also because by that point public sentiment against the war in Vietnam was reaching a fever pitch. One of the reasons was the Tet Offensive of the previous month a coordinated North Vietnamese attack on more than 100 cities and outposts in South Vietnam, seriously damaging American optimism about the war. Two days after Seeger's appearance, Walter Cronkite hosted a CBS News special called A Report from Vietnam. He came to a sober conclusion. To say that we are closer to victory today is to believe, in the face of the evidence, the optimists who have been wrong in the past. To suggest we are on the edge of defeat is to yield to unreasonable pessimism. To say that we are mired in stalemate seems the only realistic, if unsatisfactory, conclusion. On the off chance that military and political analysts are right, in the next few months we must test the enemy's intentions in case this is indeed his last big gasp before negotiations. But it is increasingly clear to this report that the only rational way out then will be to negotiate, not as victors, but as an honorable people who lived up to their pledge to defend democracy and did the best they could. This is Walter Cronkite. Good night. Meanwhile, candidates were warming up for the 1968 presidential election, and the one generating the most excitement was Democratic Senator Eugene McCarthy of Minnesota, who was a strong anti-war candidate. McCarthy's strong showing in the New Hampshire primary helped convince Lyndon Johnson not to run for re-election in 1968. Pat Paulson mounted his own campaign for president as the candidate of the straight-talking American Government Party, AKA the Stag Party, and he got 200,000 votes. On the second-to-last show of the season, in the spring of 1968, Mason Williams took the spotlight to play a song he'd written years before and which would go on to become a top-ten hit. Classical Gas. On the final episode of the second season, the brothers close by thanking everyone, even CBS censors, as they called them, Sam Party Pooper Taylor and Charlie Petty Petty John. We'd like you to meet these men, Tom told the audience, but they're not here tonight because they're over at the bar across the street entertaining the customers with the jokes they censored out of our show. 
Meanwhile, 1968 continued to unfold as one of the most tumultuous years in American history. In April, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. In June, Senator Robert Kennedy was assassinated just as he clinched the Democratic Party nomination for president. That summer, riots broke out in over 100 cities. The Democratic National Convention in Chicago was marked by chaos and violence as Chicago police pounded protesters and reporters were taken into custody just for telling viewers about it. When the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour returned in the fall, new faces had been added. There were three new writers, Bob Einstein, Rob Reiner, and Steve Martin. Einstein would go on to be better known as Super Dave Osborne and as Marty Funkhauser on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Steve Martin didn't know it at the time, but at first he wasn't even officially on the payroll. Mason Williams was paying him out of his own pocket. On the first show of the third season, the brothers opened with a song of muted triumph. on a raging Blacks and whites still haven't worked it out Pollution, guns and poverty surround us No wonder everybody's dropping out But we're still here Oh yeah, we're still here We face the same old problem But we're still here That big crime is stretching out before us Lurking in the wing CBS would like to give us notice And some of you don't like the things we say But we're still here He's still there and so am I You may not think we're funny But we're still here Oh, both of us have grown a man we must not shoot The blazers that we always wore are gone yes, sir. Our clean-cut all-American look is changing But underneath we're still old Dick and Tom But we're still here Oh, we're still here La, 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 not recognize us But we're still here But we're still here The guest stars on that episode were football star Rosie Greer, singer Mama Cass Elliot, and Harry Belafonte. There was a comedy sketch that spoofed Bonanza, and Belafonte sang a trio with the brothers. And then the plan for another number was for Belafonte to sing the Calypso song Carnival against a montage of cops beating hippies in Chicago during the Democratic National Convention. Guess which one of those things CBS didn't like. But this time, the dispute between the brothers and CBS got louder and nastier. And the end result was that the number was cut, and, to add insult to injury, the five minutes the bit would have taken up was filled by a political ad from Republican presidential candidate Richard Nixon. During the third season, guest stars on the show tended to be younger and usually comedians. George Carlin, improv group The Committee, David Steinberg. 
Steinberg was a veteran of Chicago's Second City comedy troupe. His father was a rabbi, and he'd been a seminary student. And at Second City, Steinberg became known for his satirical sermonettes. Today's sermon deals with the exciting personality of Moses, who had a wonderful rapport with God, whom I'm sure you'll all remember from last week's sermon. My sermons were edgy only insofar as no one was doing anything on the Bible at all. And the Smothers Brothers knew that, and they didn't care. They wanted it out there because they thought it was just an, something new, something that no one had seen before. They were always looking for what their difference was. Moses was wandering in the wilderness when he saw a bush that was burning, yet it would not consume itself. A voice came out of the heavens. <coughs> Moses, take off your shoes from off of your feet. God said in his redundant way. The censors cut just one line of Steinberg's bit, but as a result of the conflict, a new rule was put into place. The brothers would have to submit each week's episode in advance so that network affiliates could decide if they wanted to air the show. This tightened the production schedule and allowed less time for conflict between the brothers and the censors. The brothers didn't know it at the time, but the end was in sight. It was a standoff between them and CBS, and Tom Smothers admitted later that his own sense of humor was beginning to be smothered by a growing sense of self-righteousness. The Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour was officially renewed for a fourth season, but there were still several episodes to be produced in the third. On March 2nd, an episode was taped with Joan Baez, who dedicated a song to her husband, David Harris, who would soon be going to prison for resisting the draft. The show was scheduled to be broadcast on March 9th, but editing wasn't completed in time, and it was moved to March 30th. CBS cut Baez's introduction so that she mentioned her husband was going to prison, but didn't explain why. At about the same time, Mason Williams did a poem on the air. We've done good things on this show. We have done some great things, but you haven't seen them because of the censor. The censor sits somewhere between the scenes to be seen and the television sets with a scissor purpose poised, watching the human stuff that will sizzle through the magic wires and light up like welding shops, the ho-hum rooms of America. And with the kindergarten arts and crafts concept of moral responsibility, snips out the rough talk, the unpopular opinion, or anything with teeth, and renders a pattern of ideas full of holes, a doily for your mind. Another episode was planned with African-American singer Nancy Wilson doing a sketch about interracial marriage, and David Steinberg was invited back to do another sermonette, despite lots of warnings. The episode was taped on March 21st, but it never saw the light of day. Tom Smothers didn't submit the episode far enough in advance to be reviewed by the affiliates, and CBS used that as an excuse to cancel the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. CBS's head censor at the time was a man named William Tankersley. At first, his subordinates dealt with the Smothers Brothers, but Tom Smothers started going over their heads 
and even called Tankersley at home. I was the one who called the meeting that resulted in the death of the show, Tankersley said. We did it reluctantly. Nobody wanted to lose the hour. It added sparkle to Sunday nights. But it got to that point. We had a polarized society at that time, and nobody had a very good sense of humor. They touched nerves with those jokes, and we had affiliated stations that were getting terribly upset. The brothers sued CBS for breach of contract and won over three quarters of a million dollars. And even though the Smothers Brothers comedy hour was gone, the door had been opened. Less than two years later, TV had a new monster hit, All in the Family, a sitcom about a bigot with a vocabulary full of racial slurs. Satirical humor was back on the air on a show ten times as aggressive as the Smothers Brothers comedy hour had ever been, and it was number one in the ratings. And it aired on CBS. In the spring of 1988, the brothers returned to CBS for a 20th anniversary special. All had been forgiven. Everyone showed up. Steve Martin, John Hartford, Glenn Campbell, even Mason Williams was there to play classical jazz. special was such a hit that CBS ordered additional episodes of the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. The comedy wasn't quite as daring as it had been 20 years earlier. It really hadn't changed, but we had. My name's David Inman. Thanks for coming to the potluck. See you later. <laughs>